Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. Best shooter ever. For my money, he is. He's my favorite player to watch. This dude is the greatest shooter that I have ever seen in NBA history. But let me say this. This dude is on another level. Steph Curry seems to have an attitude, and rather than talk about it, he seems to be taking it out on the board. I look at Steph Curry, and all he's taking on right now is I want to be the best basketball player. Steph Curry is the best. Today, he is the most significantly impactful player in the league. Believers Church, how we doing tonight? It's good to see you guys. If I didn't know any better and there weren't any video, I think like all my connect group guys that play me in basketball would have thought they were talking about me, but uh, that's just neither here nor there. <laughs> that's not true. That's a lie. I started out of the gate with a lie, but um, I'm really, really excited to be with you guys tonight. I, I have the privilege of serving on our lead team here at Believers Church, and I get to kick off this series called What Would Jesus Say To? And obviously, as you saw in the video, we're going to talk about a really cool guy. His name is Steph Curry. And it hurt me a little bit deep in my soul when I heard that I needed to preach about Steph Curry because clearly um, he, he is of Satan. You know, like this is, not a, this is not a good thing if you're a Cavaliers fan to have to talk about him. But honestly, the more, the more that I unpacked who this guy was, like it was hard not to like Steph Curry. He's a pretty cool guy. And I want to just, before we get off to the races, I want to just lay a few guidelines for this series that will help you, I think, just to get the most out of it. First and foremost, you know what's so cool about doing a series like this uh, with the people that maybe don't yet come to our church? I think sometimes there can be this, this idea, and it might be for a good reason, that Christians aren't aware of culture. Like that we kind of just live in our own little Bible bubble and we're not aware of what's going on around us. And I think it's so helpful to just show people that, hey, we're like normal, just like you. We live in the same world and we know we live in it, but not of it, right? But it's so cool for them to see that not only does God have something to say to Christians, but he has something to say to everybody. And the most important takeaway is that if he has something to say to Steph Curry or to Kanye West or Kim Kardashian or Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, certainly he has something to say to me. And so I just want to ahead of time, just invites you to invite some people. And because uh, this might be the easiest moment you've ever had to invite somebody, because all you have to say is, hey, man, we're talking about what Jesus would say to the next president. And they're like, I'm there. And so thank you for doing that. And uh, we're going to have so much fun as we unpack this, this lesson today. And uh, you know what's, what's cool? I, I found this out really fast as I was starting to research Steph Curry. He's actually from Akron, Ohio, which is pretty cool. So I guess if I, if I root for him even for this one weekend, that's, that's kind of my reason. And that makes him the second best player to ever come out of Akron, Ohio. Can I get an amen? All right. So got that out of the way. I promise I won't bring up the Cavs all night. But Steph is an amazing guy. And if you're kind of like my mom or my wife and you think Steph Curry is like a meal you can get from the Bombay Indian restaurant down the street. Let me just, let me real quick, let me update you on what Steph Curry, who he is. He, he's probably, arguably, he's the best basketball player on the planet right now, just pound for pound. He's insanely good. And he's breaking records left and right. This guy is the defending NBA MVP. Uh, he plays for the Golden State Warriors. They just won the championship against the <clears throat> Cleveland Cavaliers last year. And uh, we're going to get our redemption this year in the finals. And uh, so, Anyway, I'm just speaking by faith right now, but um, he's, a pretty, he's a pretty darn good basketball player. As a matter of fact, he has beat 
the, uh, the three-point field goal uh, for a single season. He's beat that record three years in a row. He just keeps beating himself. The previous record holder was Ray Allen, who's an incredible uh, three-point shooter, and he's ahead of his previous record by 103 pointers this year, and the season's still going. Like, this guy is just annihilating anything we previously thought possible. And uh, here's the crazy thing. He plays for this team that is going to probably break the record that the Chicago Bulls set for the most wins in a season of 72 wins in a single season, and it's going to happen sometime in the next couple weeks. As a matter of fact, they have already clinched their playoff spot two months ago in February for the playoffs that start in April. It's almost just kind of not fair. And uh, he's incredible. But you know what I love so much about Steph Curry is like, not only is he a phenomenal athlete and a really great basketball player, he's actually a Christian and he's pretty pretty upfront about his faith. And so today I want to just answer that question. What would Jesus say to Steph Curry? And then maybe through all of this, here's the question I'd really like for us to answer is what would Jesus say to you and I? Because if we could see that, then I think it's really going to help us go where God wants us to go. Are you with me? It's going to be a good time. So, um, Here's the first thing I thought we could start with is this. You know, it's phenomenal. You think about this. Steph has this insane ability to take this round orange ball and put it in a bucket better than just about anybody else on the planet. And by virtue of doing that, he has this stage to stand on that pretty much no one else does. It carries with him this influence for millions and sometimes even billions of basketball fans all over the world just because of his ability to bounce a ball and shoot it through a round hoop. That's pretty incredible, right? Now, the more that you, th- you think about it, like, I don't know if any of us are going to ever have the same platform or influence that Steph Curry will in the same way. But here's the cool thing. We all have a stage to stand on. Steph has a stage, and so do you. And it's all connected to the gift that God innately gifted you to have, uniquely wired you to have from birth. I mean, I bet if I went up and down the rows tonight and I just asked you, hey, what are you good at? probably most of you would shoot back to an early memory in in childhood where someone was like, hey, you're really good at that. And you're like, yeah, I never realized it, but I guess I'm pretty above average at that. And then throughout life, you started realizing, hey, I'm like pretty good at baking. I'm pretty good at cooking. I'm I'm really good at coding for websites. I'm really good at graphic design. I'm a pretty good athlete. I'm I'm really good at fixing cars. I'm really good at selling cars. I mean, all of us kind of have this gift that's inside of us, and it's a stage that we get to stand on. And actually, the Bible has something to say about this in Proverbs 18, 16. Listen to what it says. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. I think this is fascinating because what it's kind of saying is great men, there's that influence term, right? Steph has this ability to influence influencers just because of his gifts that God's given him. And I don't know about you, but I've received some gifts in my day. And the best ones are always the ones I don't see coming. Like, I love it when somebody gives me a gift and I had no clue it was coming. Actually, five years ago when my wife and I moved into our house with our kids, we had boxes all over the place and we're just unpacking and I get a knock on the door. And I don't know if you know this about me, but my all-time favorite dessert is chocolate chip banana bread. And uh, that's just like, if I smell that, I could, I could demolish an entire loaf. I'm convinced, as a matter of fact, in heaven someday, if we serve communion, we will serve chocolate chip banana bread and Diet Coke. Don't judge me. You're weird too. Okay. But guess what? Guess what my neighbors, they were my backyard neighbors, guess what they brought me? 
chocolate chip banana bread. They didn't even know it was my favorite. And can I tell you something? I didn't know them from Adam, but that made space for them in my heart. Like the minute that they offered that to me, it made, their gift made room for them, and it opened up the door for a relationship. And you might have been the gift giver at different times. And it's like, man, it's not manipulation, and it's not coercing them. It's just like, hey, this is a gift, no strings attached, and it opens up the door, and it's a relationship uh, that you might not have had before. I actually heard about this funny little story with another basketball player. His name is Shaq. Anybody familiar with Shaquille O'Neal? Pretty big guy. I think he'd still be taller than me while I'm on this stage. And uh, he's about 7'2", and he's probably, you know, north of 400 nowadays. He's been retired a few years, and uh, he's just a beast of a man. Well, he was at the Super Bowl, and uh, he needed to get to another level, so he comes up to the elevator, and... uh, he, he, just to have some fun with some people, I brought a picture along. This is, this is a pretty good picture. It's a little bit dark, but if you can't tell, that's Shaq standing about three heads taller than everybody, squeezing onto an already crowded elevator. And like my favorite picture is this lady on the right there. But you know what's so funny? Like I'm pretty sure if I show up to that elevator and I try to squeeze on, nobody's having it. Like they're, they're not making room for me. But I think because of his gift and his ability and his talent, I think that gift made room for him on that elevator. And they exceeded the maximum capacity and put their lives at risk just so they could say, I rode on an elevator with Shaquille O'Neal. Are you following what I'm I'm laying down? We, We have to make sure that our gift makes room for us. And, you know, the stage that we stand on, just practically speaking right now, I'm standing on a stage. And what is the number one function of this stage? Well, it elevates the speaker so that you can hear and you can see the message that I'm delivering, right? That's exactly what God has given you a talent and an ability to do. Your gift gets you in. Your gift gets you in. And and I'm convinced that it's not just called a gift because God gives it to us, but I think if we look a little deeper, it's called a gift because God gives it to us so we can give it away. It actually makes you shift your perspective a little bit, right? Because our culture would tell you, hey, like you're gifted and you have this ability and you have this platform so that you can make more money or so that you can have more things, or you can gain more influence so that you can be elevated, right? But it's actually the reverse. It's just the more that we find out what our gift is, it gets us into the hearts of people. And here's the cool thing. It elevates us so that we can elevate the message of Jesus Christ, because here's his mission. We're called to go into all the world. He wants us to occupy every corner of culture, And if there's somebody that's on Wall Street, he wants a Christian on Wall Street doing well, doing things to the glory of God. If there's someone in the NBA like Steph Curry, he wants somebody doing well, doing it to the glory of God. In every corner of culture, our gift gets us in, and there's a stage to stand on. And uh, just to continue with this thought, I love what Proverbs 22 says. Proverbs 22, 29, it says, You see a man skillful in his work, he will stand before kings, he will not stand before obscure men. I think that's cool because, again, what's a king? Well, he's an influencer. He has the ability to literally change culture. And I don't know about you. I don't know that I will ever stand before a king, but I can tell you this. I'm sure there are some people of influence that God wants to position me near, and it's a stage I stand on when I recognize the gift that I've been given. Now, Christians can tend to pass over this first part sometimes, and I love that it says, do you see a man skillful in his work? You know, because Every Joe Schmo can get like a word from somebody that you're going to change the nations. But you know what God is saying? It's like, no, there's some work associated with it. And you might not come out of the gate uh, any more than a five out of ten of that gift. You, you might just be inclined to that. But there's actually work that goes into becoming skillful with it. And when you are skillfully working with the right purpose in mind, God gives you a stage to stand on. And that's the question today. 
what's my stage that I'm called to stand on? What's the gift that God gave me that I can give away? And when you can begin to answer that, man, you're unstoppable. Now, the question that accompanies that is, why do I have the stage in the first place? And I love what Steph Curry says. This is a direct quote. Listen to this. How do you not love this guy? I know why I play the game. It's not to score 30 points a night, but it's to use the stage I'm on. I've been put here for a specific purpose, to be a witness and to share my testimony as I go through it. Isn't that good, man? If, if all of us could just see our lives that way. Now, is he saying that there's anything wrong with scoring 30 points a night? Clearly, he doesn't believe that because last year in the finals, I think he proved that wrong, right? But he, he absolutely sees that excellence brings glory to God, but I don't ever want to let my gift get in the way of what my message is, right? Which is to elevate Jesus higher than I elevate myself. And here's the challenge. This is the challenge all of us face. You know, when we stand on a stage, it elevates the message, but it also elevates the messenger, right? I mean, people in ministry and people that, that are on stages of public influence, we have to deal with this all the time because, you know, my dad kind of modeled this for me as a kid. You almost have to be visibly invisible. It's kind of like any attention I get, any, any, any person that gives me a compliment, I mean, you can receive a compliment, but at the end of the day, we're called to just reflect that glory from us up to God and just say, hey, man, this is all for him. This is all about him. And here's the reality. Pride is the number one enemy to our platform. Pride is the number one enemy to our platform. This idea that like I am here because I am supposed to be seen and I am supposed to be heard. And I love what Ed Young Jr. says. He says, hey, the minute that pride walks onto the stage, God walks off. And I think for all of us, man, it doesn't have to be a stage that people see in an auditorium, but I think all of us have a stage to stand on, and we have to keep our pride in check, because you know what the Bible actually says about pride? It says that God resists the proud. I don't know about you, but I don't ever want to be in a position where God is resisting me, and then you know what it also says? It says it gives grace to the humble. You know, this is another one. You could probably quote it. Pride comes before a fall, right? God has, has uniquely gifted me with moments where I've literally experienced this many times in my life, just in case I was ever getting proud. And, uh, you know, about 16 years ago, I was, uh, maybe 15 years ago, I was getting ready to graduate. I was going into my freshman year of college, and my sister, Michelle, was going into her freshman year of high school. And so I thought, man, I'm like the cool kid on campus now. I should go back with her to orientation because she's a little bit shy, and I can show her around, and I can show her the ropes and show her how cool Big Brother was. And so we show up at my high school. It's my alma mater. I just graduated. I'm a big dude. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, Michelle, just stick with me. I got this covered. And so she's really shy, nothing like what you see up here now. And so we're walking in. There's hundreds of people. I know a lot of them were filing in, and it's like pouring cats and dogs. We get to the top of this really high staircase, and I just confidently went to step on the first step at the, at the top of this staircase. And for whatever the reason, probably it was a little bit slippery, my foot, it just, it didn't, it didn't gain the traction that I needed. And my foot went up and so did the rest of my entire body. And so there's cool ways to fall. And then there's the way I fell. And like, I had no control of what I was doing. And like, to top it off, the first time that my feet rolled over my head, it kind of knocked the wind out of me and I made a, uh, 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 that was the noise. I mean, that's not cool, right? And, and then all of a sudden, I hear my sister say, oh my God, Joe, are you okay? And my fall, like, it lasted like six seconds. Like, it was like the longest fall ever. And all these people are like getting out of the way. And, and like, there's no cool way to land. And like, sometimes, you know, you can kind of land and then get back up and just, uh, you know, go about your business. That wasn't that day. There was no escaping it. And I'm just telling you something like pride 
It, it doesn't look good on anybody, right? Humility looks great on everybody. And I think what God is saying is, hey, man, don't let pride be an enemy to your platform. Position your, yourself in a place of humility. And in due time, God will lift you up and God will give you the exposure that you need. So here's, here's the part that starts to get me super excited about Steph Curry. You know, most people don't know this. He wasn't an overnight success. He actually, he, he grew up in, a, in an NBA player's household. Del Curry was his dad. Really great three-point shooter. And, uh, but, but get this, he was only like six feet tall in high school. He's 6'3 now, so he's still not even really an imposing person. And he was real thin. He probably weighed about 140 pounds soaking wet. And nobody recruited him. None of the big schools wanted him. Kentucky wasn't coming knocking. Kansas and Duke and North Carolina and Villanova, nobody wanted anything to do with him. And uh, he ends up at this school called Davidson, and he has a decent career. But then going into the NBA draft, there's all these questions looming over him. Is he injury-prone? And we know he has a good jump shot, but can he handle the physicality of an NBA game? And nobody wanted to take a chance on him. And this was the year, y'all remember, Blake Griffin was coming in and James Harden. And so he gets drafted seven, and they're like, eh, we think he might have some potential, but we're not sure. And this reminds me a lot of this guy in the Bible. As a matter of fact, he was a sharpshooter just like Steph Curry. His name was David. He's pretty good with the slingshot. And uh, David, he was overlooked by everybody, including his own dad. Come on. I mean, at least Steph Curry, you got to imagine Dell believed in him. Well, here's what's happening at this time in Israel. The king at that moment is Saul, and he's disobeying God, and he's turned his heart away from God. So God tells Samuel to secretly go to this little podunk town called Bethlehem. And David, he's herding his dad's sheep on the backside of a pasture in Bethlehem. Stinky. No glory. No glitz. No glam. Nobody knows David's name at all. And guess what? Samuel says, Jesse, that's his dad's name, he said, I want you to line up all of your sons, and I want you to show me who you're working with because God is going to tell me who the next king of Israel is going to be. And get this. Jesse didn't even think highly enough of David to include him in the lineup. Come on, man. So he says, David, I want you to stay back in the pasture. and You, you, you herd sheep and play your harp. Do whatever you want to do, you little artsy-fartsy boy. You're not, you're not going to be the next king of Israel. He just threw him out there on the other side of the pasture. And if I'm David, man, and it's like modern day, I'm like, I'm going to like take a selfie of me playing the harp. And I'm going to like, I, I don't know, I'm going to at mention Prof Sam 1616 and say, hey man, hashtag Bethlehem Bala playing the harp on the outside of the hill. You know, do something to get my face and my name up there. I might show up at the house with some cheese curds and say, oh Samuel, I had no clue you were here. So good to see you. I I would do something, but that's not what David did. David just stayed out there and he said, no, you know what? If God wants to find me, he will. I'm just going to be faithful right where I am. And guess what? Samuel didn't even see him. Samuel hears from God all the time. He's a prophet. Listen to what Samuel says. Samuel saw Eliab, that's one of David's older brothers. We'll just call him Blake Griffin. He's the guy that looks the part. And he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, I love this about God. He says, don't consider his appearance or his height. Reminds you of somebody? For I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
You know, I'm, I'm sure David was thankful that even though his dad didn't see the gift inside of him, and even though his brothers didn't see the gift inside of him, and even though all of Israel didn't see the gift inside of him, that God saw the gift inside of him. And I don't know about you, maybe there's some people here that you grew up in a family where nobody saw the gifts inside of you. No one ever spoke any positive words over you, or you had friends that would just put you down, or maybe you're in that situation now. Can I just tell you something? God always finds you right where you are, and he believes in you. And here's the bottom line. David didn't look the part, but he had the heart. And that's what God's trying to get across to us is like, man, God, he finds faithful people. God always finds faithful people. He doesn't just find talented people. He doesn't find the loudest, self-promoting people. God finds faithful people. You know what I love about Rolls-Royce? Clearly probably one of the greatest luxury brands out there. You ever thought about this? Hundreds of thousands of dollars get poured into making this car. They got to make their money back. I mean, it's a big brand and a big deal, and they don't market or advertise at all. Pretty crazy, right? And why is that? Well, it's because Rolls-Royce knows who it is, and it knows that if I do a good enough product, and I put all the attention into the details when nobody's looking, then the people that buy it, they're going to have word of mouth spread it all over the place, and more and more people are going to buy our product. It's worked for them for over 100 years. And I think what God is saying is, hey, you don't have to self-promote and you don't have to push yourself to the front because God always finds faithful people. Are you with me? Now listen to this. I think this is fascinating. This is a conversation that David has fast-forwarding in in the story a little bit, a couple chapters. David is with King Saul now and the battle lines are drawn up and this cocky Goliath in the Philistine army, they're taunting the Israelites and David shows up and And he says, who's this uncircumcised Philistine, this guy that's out of covenant with God? What does he think he's saying to us? And he's like, I'll take him, King Saul. And King Saul's like, no, listen, David, this this Goliath, he's been trained to be a warrior from the time he was a little boy. You don't want any part of this. And I love his answer. It's kind of peculiar. You know what he says? 1 Samuel 17, 34. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. That's weird. (laughs) You You know what I like about this? I think what David is trying to say is like, I know I can take Goliath because I've been faithful with stuff that's right in front of me that doesn't even belong to me. You know, I I heard this study from Forbes and and it was a little bit disheartening. Uh, You know, in America, the average employee, 64% of them in a given year, here's what they're doing every day. They're visiting non-work related websites on their work time and it's a pretty significant amount of their day. And It doesn't get any better for millennials because it it jumps like 9% to 73% of them every day. So here's the takeaway. If you want to stand out at your job, just like do your job. You know what I mean? Like if you want to make a a name for yourself and and you want to use your gifts for God's glory and stand on that stage and shine bright, the the baseline's not set super high. Just be faithful. And it it got me to thinking like, man, are are we being faithful with things that don't belong to us? Because like, Jesus had some things to say about this, believe it or not. Luke 16, 10, he says, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And this is the part I love. This is exactly what we're talking about, verse 12. And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? 
Man, I think as a Christian, you know what should just be a defining characteristic? Just the fact that even if it doesn't belong to us, that we're going to be faithful with it. And, you know, I get to do this with my dad at our own church. I mean, it's not my church, it's his church, and he's the one that paved the way. But I'm just thankful I get to be a part of it. And I get to just be faithful behind the scenes and just just get to keep doing things every day. I, I count it an honor. And that's exactly what David was saying, man. He's just being faithful with the stuff that's right in front of us. And, and listen, just because it's little doesn't mean it's less. I think what God's trying to hammer home is like, hey, if you can just get really good at being faithful with the little stuff, then I'll bless you with some bigger stuff down the road. But you've got to be faithful first with the stuff that nobody can see. And he continues on by saying this, 1 Samuel 17, 34. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I like David, man. Listen to this. I struck it and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. Time out. This is to protect a sheep that doesn't even belong to him. How many of you guys would fight for your employer's stuff like it was your own? You know what I mean? Like, this is convicting stuff. It's preaching to me as I preach it. I went after it. I struck it and rescued it and the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and I killed it. David went revenant on him, man. It's like Leo DiCaprio out there on the backside of a pasture. No one's looking and he's taking down a bear and a lion. And here's, here's what's happening. There's two things, two very critical things. These are the same things that happen in our relationship with God. The first one is this. David was learning to trust God. He actually says this in, in verse 37. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he'll rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I have a really big test in front of me or a really big challenge, it's so encouraging just to look back and see what God did for me back there. Because if God was faithful with me with a little bear or a little lion, I know he can be faithful with me in front of a giant. If God was faithful and he never failed me back there, then I know that he's never going to fail me as I move forward. And th that's the first thing that's happening. But here's the really cool thing that's happening. This is what God's hoping will happen in each of our lives. Not only was David learning to trust God, God was learning to trust David. I think what God is saying to David is, hey, if I can trust you with a bear, then I know I can trust you in a battle. If I can trust you in a cave, then I know I can trust you with a kingdom. You know, it got me to thinking about this cave called Adullam. You know, one of the scenes in David's life that he probably never thought anyone would ever see, but he knew God saw, was this moment when King Saul was trying to kill him because he knew that he was the anointed king of Israel and he wanted to take him out. So David's fleeing for his life and he ends up with Saul in the cave and nobody else is there. Saul doesn't see that he's there and he could have killed him and he probably would have had a probable, a just cause for doing it, but you know what? He says, I'm not going to kill God's anointed. I want to make this statement to you. Your calling and your cave are connected. The things that you do in secret, the, the character that you display when no one is watching is connected to the amazing things God wants to do with you when everyone is watching. Our private sacrifice is always connected to the public stage that God's called us to stand on. That's how God actually prepares us to go the distance because, listen, your talent will take you there, but your character will keep you there. This is the way God works. And I was thinking about this. When, when I was growing up, you know, one of, one of my least favorite things to do was school. I don't know. I like the social aspect, but I wasn't working super hard on my grades, if I'm being honest. And you know, my parents were trying to teach me a lesson this one summer, and I deserved it, and I, I had a low GPA, and they said, listen, this summer you're going to work, and you're working for Papa Jim, and if you guys have been here long enough, you know Papa Jim is, that's my dad's dad, and he's awesome, and 
he's, you know, he's like five feet tall, but you're scared of him. Like, I mean, I, I would have done anything he would have said, and I'm still a little bit concerned he could probably hurt me, you know, like just to this day. And Papa Jim is incredible, and he worked part-time at the church in maintenance, and, and he, he was tool and die at Packard, and just a cool guy. Well, guess what? That summer, I worked for free. That was my punishment. And so working for free all summer with Papa Jim, like sixth grade year, and the first day I went there, he showed me this massive wall of all of these nuts and these bolts and these screws, and he said, arrange it, organize it. And, you know, so that was the whole first day. I spent like seven hours just picking things out of these little buckets. And every day was just excruciating and all this tough work. But you know what? Looking back, this is one of my favorite memories. And it it, it morphed into this moment where I got to actually, my first job was working here in the maintenance department. I loved it. And I would come after school and I'd work about five hours. And, you know, one of the things that always stood out to me that my dad would, would tell me again and again is, hey, don't cut corners. My mom would pound this into me. Don't cut corners. And so I'd have my CD Walkman, and it was like this big, and I'd have to try to stick it into my pocket. You guys don't know about that, the iPod generation. And if I walked too hard, it would skip. And I still had skip protection, but it never worked. What was that all about? And, and so I'm just, I got the vacuum, and, and I, you know what? This thought occurred to me, like, I'm here all alone in this room. I don't even see any lint in this room, but I've been asked to clean it. I could probably skip a few rows in the room, cut a few corners, and no one would ever know the difference. And I just would hear my dad, his voice ringing in my ear, and I hear God's voice ringing in my ear, and he would just say, no, don't cut corners. Just keep being faithful when nobody's watching because someday I'll give you something bigger, but I can't give you anything bigger until you just keep sweeping the floor. Listen, some people, your bigger is to do that for the rest of your life. You're gifted to do it, and you're great with facilities. I'm not minimizing that, but for me, there was just something else God had in mind, and it was just a little something right in front of me. And I'm so thankful now that I can look back, and I wasn't perfect, and I made some mistakes, but God put something inside of me and I'd say that was my cave among other things it's just nobody was looking and it would have been so easy to just do what I wanted but I decided not to cut corners and I think God is saying the same thing to all of us and so I just want to encourage you to begin to ask yourself this question what would faithfulness look like in my own life maybe we could define faithfulness right now let's get back to Steph Curry I would say faithfulness for Steph Curry and faithfulness for all of us is working on the fundamentals when nobody else is there. Faithfulness is working on fundamentals when nobody else can see you. You know, everybody wants the big stage. Nobody wants the big sacrifice, right? I mean, those are the things that we kind of shy away from. But guess what? For every 40 minutes that we see Steph dominate someone on a basketball court, there were 40 hours that went into practicing and rigorously going after this thing so he could become the best at his craft. You know what's actually begun to happen in his career? This is nuts. He comes to a game two hours early to start doing his warm-ups, and he has this whole routine, and there are hundreds and thousands of people that will show up for his warm-ups. That's crazy. Now, I'm going to show you a video as I start to talk, and this is what his routine kind of looks like before a game. This is kind of crazy. So he'll take these two balls, and he'll start to dribble it, and these little kids will watch him, and I'm telling you, there are people packed all around the stadium just to get in so they can watch his routine. And so he's practicing, and everything that he does in practicing is harder than it would be in a game. And so he takes two, two balls, because if I can dribble with two balls, Lord knows I can dribble with one. And then he'll do this, this strength and resistance training. And when he's trying to do his drills, he'll actually have people that come up and push him on his team the whole way down the court so that he gets used to the conflict and all the stuff he's going to have to deal with, the physicality of the game. And guess what? After, after he practices for hours every day of the week, here's what he does. He has to shoot 100 three-point shots. 
this is crazy. You're actually going to see some of this is his practice right now. This is from the day where he hit 77 in a row. And guess what? On an average day, he's making 80 of 100 of those three-point shots. So guess what? It's his faithfulness with the fundamentals when really no one's watching that sets him up for the greatness on the stage when everybody is watching. And this is what God is saying to you. And I want to just ask you, how are you doing on the fundamentals? Maybe you're new to God and fundamentals. You're like, what, what would that look like in a, in a life for God? I can just tell you where to start. For me, the biggest challenge is how am I going to have daily time with God? God wants to get to know you. You know, we want to know what Jesus would say to Steph Curry. What would Jesus say to you today? The best way to ask him is through his word. That's how he speaks to us. Do you have a daily time with God in his word? Maybe you just need to start with something basic. Maybe it's just five minutes a day, get into God's word, and five minutes a day, pray to him about what you read in his word, and pray for some other people. Maybe, maybe it's getting into God's worship, and, you know, Steph plays for the Warriors, but let me ask you this. What if he was just a weekend warrior? Like, what if he only practiced on the days that he played? What if he only put the work in on the days that he knew some people were going to see him? Because sometimes I think that's how we approach our relationship with God. It's like, all right, God, I'm a weekend warrior. I'll for sure be here on Sunday. I'll for sure be here on Saturday night for service. I'll for sure worship you when everybody else is around. But God, I don't know about the other stuff. You know, what if, what if Steph only laced, off, laced up his sneakers and dusted them off once a week or twice a week? He would, get the, he would get the result of what he put into it. And the same happens in our relationship with God. So I want to encourage you, don't be a weekend warrior. Be faithful all the time with the fundamentals because fundamentals, man, they beat fancy. He's not going to need fancy when the game's on the line. But if he can be faithful when there's no pressure, he'll be faithful when there's 10 seconds left and there's, there's a shot he needs to make and he'll nail it every time. And this is, this is what goes behind Steph Curry and the magic that is there. So as we kind of draw to a close here, you know, one of the things that I think is so cool about Steph is this. Um, he, he's got what you call a shooter's mentality. And uh, this, this is cool, like, you know, most people in the NBA, if they miss, like, a lot of shots in a game, they kind of just stop trying, and they'll pass it away, right? Now, shooters, they have a different way of seeing it. Like, they actually want to shoot out of their problems. Like, if they've missed the first 10 shots, they just feel like, hey, if I could just connect on one, I think, I, I think the next 10 are going in. And there was this one game with Steph where he missed the first seven of his eight, of his eight three-pointers. And that's like an off night for him, as you can imagine. And, you know, the normal guy would just give up. But guess what? He turned that game, the, probably the worst start of his career, he turned that into the season high and scored 43 points. I got to thinking, I was like, man, seven times. Missed the first seven shots. And thought about this scripture. It's Proverbs 24, 16. Listen to this. Although a righteous person may fall seven times, he gets up again. You know, I think there are some people in here and you're like, man, I'm just a failure, Joe. I've tried so many times. I don't even, I'm ashamed to admit it, but I, I don't think God could use me. And you know what God's saying? Get up again. And some of you, you're a mom and you're, you're going into the PTA and you're kind of shy and you're like, I know I've got a message inside of me. I know God gave me a gift and it's a stage to stand on, but I don't think I could do it. And God's just saying, get up again. You can do it. And maybe you're a student and you failed the last seven tests. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I'm a witness. And you're like, I don't think I could ever pass this class. And God's saying, just get up again. Just keep shooting. If you keep shooting, there's good things that are going to happen. I've got a plan for your life. I've got a stage for you to stand on. God's just saying, keep shooting. I don't know what it is that you're struggling with, and I don't know what it is that's coming at you, but I know God has a plan for your life, and 
If you could, I just want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to invite God in all of our lives to do something that I really believe is going to change the trajectory of your calling and your gifting. You know, right now you might be so discouraged because you feel like the same situation has happened over and over and over again. And you've tried this before. You're kind of in the cave. When it feels like life is caving in and you feel like there's no hope, God's just saying, get back up and keep shooting. Keep working when nobody's looking because God finds faithful people. Maybe you're at a dead-end job and you just feel like, man, I don't think this is where God wants me and how could he possibly have positioned me here? No one appreciates me. Nobody sees my greatness. Nobody sees the gifts inside of me. And he's saying, no, just keep plugging away. I find faithful people. I don't know where you fall into that equation, but I just want you right now in your own way and just kind of do it under your breath. I want you to just commit that to God. Just commit your cave to God. You know what your cave is. We all know. We all know what our cave is, but just give it to him. Say, God, I give this to you. I trust you. I know that the more I work on this and the more I trust you, it's going to position me to be on the platform you've called me to be. Here's the most important part of this night. I believe that maybe in a crowd this size, there's someone or a few of you who came here tonight, and this is the first you're hearing about this. Or maybe you came to Easter last weekend, and you're like, man, I, this is cool. I want to come back, but I don't quite understand it all. And I'm so glad you're here because this is a great message for you because here's, here's what you need to know. God has a plan for you that's so much bigger than what you're living in right now. He's got a plan for you. He's got a purpose for you. Those gifts that are inside of you, he wants to, he wants to turn those into something great so that he can use you to reach other people. But, but first things first, you know, we live in a world that would tell us that there's all kinds of different ways to God and your truth is fine for you and their truth is fine for them, but there's no, there's no one truth. And Jesus kind of flipped that on its head and he said this, he said, no, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life, and there's no one who comes to my Father in heaven except through me. So Believer's Church, we believe that with all of our hearts, and we feel like it's our, it's our duty and our, our privilege to get to tell people that God wants to get involved in your life. And Pastor Joe always says it this way, have you put Jesus in the driver's seat of your life? Have you made it personal with him? I just want to ask you that tonight, because listen, here's the cool thing. This actually gives you access to heaven someday when you die, and that's a great thing. But here's the cool part. This actually brings heaven into your everyday life. God wants to help you right where you are. He cares about your situation. He cares about your circumstance. That matters to him. But first, we have to surrender to him. The Bible says that if we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we'll be saved. So I want to invite you to do that. There's hundreds of people that have already made that decision. You might be here tonight. We're going to help you out if this is your first time. Or maybe you need to recommit your life and say, God, I'm, I'm all in again. But whatever it is from the front to the back, can you repeat this after me? Let's mean it with all of our heart and a miracle will happen inside of us. Say, dear God, thank you for what you've done for me through your son, Jesus Christ. I don't deserve it. I'm certainly not perfect. And I certainly won't be from here on, but thank you that you love me anyways, and you lead me into the fullness of life that Jesus bought for with his death. Thank you that he died on the cross so I could live. Have your way in my life. Jesus, I call you Lord. Have your way, and I'll follow you. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.